Hey church, welcome back to another Bible study. We're going through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, this is Mackie, and I'm stoked to be back with you. We are in Mark chapter 12, verses 35 through 44. Uh, I'm going to read the first couple of narratives or stories here. Jesus here, he's in the temple um, teaching uh, followers of him, disciples, uh, probably a wider audience um, than you, the usual 12 um, as we remember them classically, the 12 disciples, probably a wider audience than just them. And he's telling a few stories, giving a few thoughts here, answering a couple questions. And these first couple questions here and a couple teachings kind of go so well together. And then these last few verses are actually a response to the first couple. So you'll see what I mean here in just a moment. I'm going to go from verse 35 through 40 in chapter 12, and then we're going to sail on to 41 through 44. So let's see, Mark chapter 12, verse 35 through 44. I'm in the ESV, the English Standard Version. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself and the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. So Jesus here, he is again communicating a common idea of both his kingdom and his character. It's not common to anyone listening or following him, hence why he asked the question of himself. He knew his audience and knew this was a common question and a common inquisition. Many of his followers are confused by Psalm 2, where David essentially places himself at the right hand of the Father in heaven. If you follow Jesus long enough, you know this is a common story of what Jesus predicted to happen. We, he himself would ascend to heaven. So his followers are wondering, actually, if David is at the right hand of the Father, are you more powerful than David? They're, they're wondering, they're asking, does being the son of David make you less? Some of Jesus' audience even question, are you David reincarnated? Yes, some... Jewish people, Hebrew people, wondered that about the Messiah in general and about Jesus. Is this David back on earth, back to life? And the answer to that is simpler than they'd expect and simpler than what we'd expect. Jesus' earthly father, who is Joseph, is a descendant of David. That's how they get this idea. Um, that's how they, they know this they know Joseph is, is from that area, is from that family. And we would know this as Jesus' royal line. It's what gives him his royalty. It's what makes him earthly royal. You'll find the other genealogy of Jesus in Luke, which outlines Jesus' messianic family tree. But the one in Matthew shows how he is a descendant of David. In fact, he's a descendant of David through both genealogies, but the only thing's different there is again Matthew showing his royal line and then in Luke showing his messianic line. That's because Mary's included 
and Jesus was born miraculously, so that genealogy accurately depicts Jesus' holiness. With all that being said, Jesus is God. David's not. David is not, that's not what he's saying in Psalm 2. Jesus is saying it here that he is God, and he says it other times. He's not taking David's place at the right hand of the Father, but rather David has prophesied what his house and family line would end up doing. David's family tree would end up bringing the Messiah to the world. Jesus continues on to talk about the Pharisees. We see here, the Pharisees, they desire power. We know this. They desire the spot Jesus is even referring to and the one David prophesies about, the spot at the right hand of the Father. They want that power. They desire it. And the problem is, what Jesus is teaching is they'll never have it because they've desired that power and royalty on earth. That their payoff here is was here on earth and their payoff would never be in heaven. And what does it look like to Jesus, to God's kingdom, to have real power, real authority, and real royalty? Jesus continues on. Verses 41 through 44, he's still in the temple. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow, poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. The followers of Jesus who will be elevated, celebrated, and have a seat in heaven are the ones that give of themselves the most, the ones that give out of nothing or out of little. You see here the difference, the contrast between the Pharisees and even this woman that Jesus speaks about is the Pharisees, they're not giving anything. They're not sacrificing anything. Rather, their royalty, their power comes from receiving, receiving praise, receiving titles, receiving power and authority here on earth. But Jesus, that common theme I'm talking about here, he's flipping it on its head. The kingdom of God isn't, the kingdom of God just isn't about that. It's not about having the most power. It's not about having the most authority. Jesus is telling us here, the people, the people of God that will be elevated and celebrated the most are the ones that sacrifice the most and sacrifice consistently. Not only that, Jesus is affirming and setting a holy precedent for tithing. He recognizes the rich are too giving and following that command. He recognizes they're doing their thing. They're doing what he's asked them. But he celebrates those more who may have had way more to risk, way more on the line. Those, that, that woman, she gave out of nothing. She had so little and she gave two lepta, equaling a penny. Think about that for a moment. The wealthy and powerful, they have much less risk attached to their gift. That poor woman, she gave those two pennies. That one penny, she made the effort. Her heart was in it, and it was for God. She had way more to risk, and in spite of that, she gave from her little 
And because of that, God honors that. And that's what God is honoring in us today. That is what the kingdom of God looks like. Not about power or position or status. Not about, it's not about sitting at the right hand of anyone. That when we get to heaven, God's going to celebrate us. And he's going to sit us in heaven because we've given of ourselves that even when we're running on empty, we gave and we sacrificed. We served him. We had our heart in it. And that is such an exciting feeling. It's an exciting situation to be worshiping a God that celebrates sacrifice. Thanks so much for joining us for the Bible study. We love you. Have an awesome day.